public opinion to the contrary. Uh, I am of the... Uh, I, I, I'm going to take the minority tonight here, and that's been my problem. I've always been doing that. Just once, if I could vote with the majority, I think uh, it would be great. You know, if, if I could learn to, to like Zsa Zsa Gabor and Cody Fields, if I could learn to laugh at Don Rickles, just think I could have a nighttime talk show and all, I could believe it. <laughs> oh, uh, in spite of public opinion, I'm going to take the opposite view tonight. So stand up, pull in your gut, and, uh, you know, there are some things that you've just got to do because you have to do them. You know, like the mountain, like the mountain climbers. Why do they climb the mountain? Well, God only knows, but uh, it's there. And uh, there are some things you do them just because you have to do them, and this is one of them. Please, Courtney, please. Now, at last, no, no, what's this? Theater. What's that, for heaven's sake? No, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's it. Here we go. Bring it up. Bring it up, Horny. Bring it in. Sometimes you... <laughs> what in the world was that? Seems like we switched into another studio where they're uh, rehearsing War and Peace. Yeah, here we sing it out. Oh, Thank <laughs> you. 
your love belongs to me. At night when you're asleep, <laughs> into your tent I creep. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to tell the truth. Now, I'm sure 
there isn't one single person listening tonight who has not at one or another time in his life done something that he hesitates to tell anybody. How about you, Corny? No, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of people don't honestly believe that they're capable of sin. Now, that's ridiculous. I say that any man is capable of sin. In fact, I will carry further than that. I will say that every man has at one time or another in his life, he has truly sinned. Now, whether you accept it or not, or admit it, is totally beside the point. It is being recorded in a big book somewhere. <laughs> How do you like that for a fundamentalist view? <laughs> you don't hear that much. But uh, that, you know, have you ever had that vague suspicion that all the evil stuff you're doing will come back one day to haunt you? I, you know, I, this is a rhetorical question. I don't want anybody to immediately fly in a rage and turn off the radio. So what the hell is this nut talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend any of you know. Don't pretend otherwise. <laughs> I mean, look. I mean, let's face it. We are seeing today in our time probably more cases of sin returning to haunt the sinner than at any other time in history. There was a time when sinners could really get away with it, really great, you know. But it doesn't work this way anymore. I mean, what do you think Watergate's about? Now, that's not a political remark. That's really an ecclesiastical theological remark I made, right? That somewhere or another there is an avenging angel, <laughs> which which lays it on you. Know? <laughs> I wonder if Mr. Agnew is listening tonight. But the <laughs> oh man, I mean, I, I you just can't get away from it. Now, if 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 you don't get actually persecuted or or let's say tried in this world for your sins, I suspect. That in the dark night of the soul, occasionally, at 3 o'clock in the morning, when you're looking up at the ceiling. And, uh, you know, every one of us has these moments when we look into the great, vast void and uh, and look inside you. Yeah, I, I don't even want to use that phrase, look inside yourself. Because that's too too obvious. Do you ever have moments that, uh, that the world... Is, is this fantastically desperate uh, vortex of chaotic things going on, and you're struggling right in the middle of it all, a tiny cork bobbing out a vast sea of incomprehensible waves that are crashing. Oh, you don't feel that, huh? <laughs> I'll bet you do. But uh, if you really honestly want to know uh, what it's like, you never can really find out. Nobody can ever explain life. And they've tried it for 20,000 years. It produces 50 million different types of religion. It produces novels. It produces paintings. It produces God knows everything. You know, plays the whole bit. And yet nobody can explain what's it about. Why are we here? Who wins, who loses, and why? Now, most people think they win if they got a pretty good car. You know, they have a decent woman around a house. You know, a couple of beers now and then, and, and there's plenty of time to sit and watch the pro football games. That's <laughs> that's winning, right, Gorney? But the, uh, there must be moments when Howard Cosell is off. There must be moments 
when you, you, you look into that, that, uh, that giant chasm of unknowingness and you hear that a mysterious comet is approaching the Earth and out there. Have you ever, ever thought about that since you were a kid? You know, that's the kind of thing kids think about. Grown-ups hardly ever do. And yet, that's probably the most important question of all. And uh, maybe that's one of the things that sets kids apart from grown-ups. Grown-ups get all involved in checking accounts, uh, lunch dates, uh, making phone calls, memos. And some kid, you know, is looking out of the window trying to figure out what's beyond the stars. Do you ever think of those things? Corny, you lived in Jamaica when you were a kid. You know, had a fantastic sky down there in the Caribbean, right? Boy, I'm telling you, you see stars like you wouldn't believe down there. And the moon, sometimes the moon is so bright in the Caribbean, you could actually read a paper by it. That's the truth. You look up into the sky and you hear the waves beating against the shore. And you look up into the sky and you see those clouds drifting against the, against the stars and across the moon. And you wonder what the hell it's all about. How, what's beyond the stars? Ever wonder that? Well, you know, this, this, uh, just the other day I was watching Cronkite and he was talking about this, this uh, space probe that they sent out to Jupiter. Well, Jupiter, you ever, you ever looked at Jupiter through a telescope? Have you? Well, Jupiter is a very interesting planet. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, as a kid, I remember them teaching us about the planets. Do you remember the planets when they taught you about Venus and Pluto and, and Saturn and Jupiter? And I remember them telling us particularly about Pluto. Pluto was so far out in the solar system that for a long, many, many centuries, they didn't even know about Pluto. It's a dark, mysterious planet floating out there, seemingly with a life of its own and with a, with a complete uh, mystique of its own. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, of, you know, in second grade, well, what's beyond Pluto? The great void, the great nothing. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York. And, oh, no, 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 don't, don't connect the two. <laughs> You're thinking about that now, aren't you, Corny? But it is a fact that, that only kids think about this kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm watching Cronkite, and he's talking about this probe going past Jupiter and taking pictures of Jupiter as it whistled past. And you saw them. Did you see them on television, these faint electronic pictures that it took? And, and that thing whistled through the way out the, the far suburbs of Jupiter. It was 80,000 miles, as a matter of fact, from the surface of Jupiter. Just whistled past. That's about a third of the distance from here to the moon, roughly, away from Jupiter. So a good long distance, 80,000 miles. It didn't go that close to Jupiter, but close enough. I mean, just whistled past. And then that one line that uh, the New York Times has says, it will now continue on and leave the solar system. Leave the solar system. Where does it go? What's past this? 
I mean, what's out there? It, 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 it drives you mad sometimes. It, by the way, in that direction does lie madness if you start thinking too much about it. It really does. It'll it'll just blow your stack. I mean, blow your bird. And uh, and guys like uh, Einstein, all these guys sat around for you know for centuries trying to figure out. I mean, here we are, this little earth, this little thing here about the size of a pinhead, and it's not even that. You know, it's a little tiny grain of sand amid this fantastic cosmos. Tremendous, uh, enormous, curious, uh, totally operative system where things seem to operate according to rules that have to do with gravity, and magnetic pull, and uh, centrifugal force, vast electronic uh, powers that hold the atoms together, and so forth. And uh, here we are sitting in the middle of all this thing, you know, and we think all our stuff is really important. You know? I mean, guys are talking about all the history of mankind, the world, and you tend to think that this is uh, this is what it's all about. And yet, oh God, I mean, talk about insignificance. And of course, this is where madness then begins to set in, because there's two very distinct sides to our existence. On the one side, you have the day-by-day existence, where you're just scrabbling along, and you're trying to get gas for your car and you're phoning the license bureau, and you're arguing with guys down at the post office, and you're trying to get your cleaning. You're having a fantastic battle with your woman. And all the rest of it, you know, this is day-by-day life. And then there's the other side, which lies deeper within each one of us, a curious, racial, mankind, humanity knowledge that we are part of some unbelievably vast system or thing. You can't even call it a system. It's too inchoate for that. Just, just, uh, just, uh, who knows? You know? and, and, and nobody knows. Don't, don't kid yourself. There's many, many theories, but nobody knows. And even the most educated theorists will tell you that they're only dealing in theories, and their theories are almost invariably wrong. <laughs> and they'll admit this. So, so nobody knows. In fact, we don't even know much about the moon in spite of the fact we've been there a couple of times. But what's beyond the beyond, you know? Have you ever had that feeling of, of what is beyond all of it? Does it go on and on and on endlessly? But something has to be past that. And then, of course, there's the great, uh, there's the great infinity theory. You know, what, you know what the theory of infinity is, don't you? That space curves back upon itself. This is a this is <laughs> this is Einsteinian or Einsteinian uh, thought processes where, where space curves back upon itself and uh, and the theory of uh, the uh, the curved nature of space and infinity is all part of this thing. Now I'm not you know I'm not gonna lay this stuff on you because I don't you know who knows anything about it except that do you ever do you ever think about these things when you're when you're uh, just walking around? Do you mean you do? Uh, that's not good for you. I mean, you're sitting there at the chock full of nuts with a cup of coffee in your hand, eating a uh, chocolate brownie, thinking of infinity, man. That'll drive you right up the tree. I mean, uh, <laughs> and uh, well, you know what? You know what the symbol for infinity is in mathematics, don't you? That when uh, 
when the infinity is written in a mathematical formula, yes, when in an equation, the symbol for infinity is a figure eight lopped over on its side. It's a figure eight, like this. Now, uh, that is because it is an endless line. Where's the end of the line uh, of a figure eight that's lying on its side? And it, it goes through an infinite number of curves, too, you notice, a figure eight, and reverses its direction, too, you notice, which makes it the, well, first clockwise and then counterclockwise as it makes the two circles. And this is the, the reason that that particular figure was chosen to represent infinity. And so your sins will come back upon you. You can't escape it. Infinity. Well, I'll tell you what made me think about this. Today I'm listening to the news, and I, I hear all about you know, energy shortage, gas shortage. I'm thinking about this. You know, uh, this may be a fantastic change in all of our lives. I'm serious. I'm really serious. You know that the horse is coming back enormously? Now, you won't see this much in New York because New York is still, you know, pretty much of, a, of an urban city and, uh, and is... Uh, has not yet been touched by a large number of things that have been happening outside of the, the area here. But do you know that in other parts of the country, the horse has been having an enormous comeback? I mean, seriously, working horses. I'm not talking about people on Sunday going out riding a horse. I'm talking about horses, working horses. In fact, uh, all around the country, guys are bringing back work horses that are now digging foundations for new houses. Did you know that this is a whole new thing? And, and the reason, one, nothing uses gas more than a tractor. Believe me, I don't know whether you've ever uh, watched the gas run through a bulldozer. It's fantastic. Uh, in addition to that, there are great advantages to the horse. For one thing, uh, you don't have to, to uh, change the rings in the horse. And no one has ever ground the valves in a horse yet. And furthermore, no bulldozer has ever had a, a, a new young baby bulldozer in the spring. <laughs> that is a fact. And, and uh, the horses are coming back, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is, if you were to come back, you know, uh, Walt Disney, for example, was always casting uh, future, you know, he was very much of a futurist. You know, Disney's having a great renaissance. He's really talking about Disney. I wonder why he went away, but he's a very interesting character, or was. And one of his, his things that he always dealt with was uh, he was a futurist. And, in fact, if you've ever been down to that big place down in Florida, uh, you know, posed for the rides and all the obvious things, but it's a fantastic view of the future, or at least Disney's view of the future kind of city and everything, controlled and all, controlled atmosphere and all kinds of, of, uh, of innovations, all kinds of trick uh, uh, travel systems and monorails and all that stuff. And yet, wouldn't it be fantastic if, if, uh, if, the, if the future is, is not at all what all of us have thought it would be? You know, we base a lot of our concepts of the future on technology. I suspect that there's a whole school of thought that's growing up today that says that technology is over. You know, like, like uh, uh, we go through ages. You know, man goes through these ages, like the Bronze Age. 
the Iron Age, the Stone Age. And the age comes and it grows and then it disappears. A good example of that are the Egyptian dynastic uh, progression, which, you know, the fantastic civilization just quietly disappeared. And uh, they're the Greeks and the Romans. And could it be that we're right? We've already passed the end of the technology age, that it's disappearing. And by the year 2100, or maybe the year 2200, if you could look into the future, it would be nothing like Disney forecast, nothing like any of the popular mechanics forecast. You look into the future, and you see people riding horses. There's no longer any, uh, any interest in machines. People have changed. Just like uh, years ago, you know, people's lives were absolutely, totally governed by, by religion. Just a few hundred years ago. I mean, everything was based on religion. I'm talking about painting. I'm talking about every working, walking thought of most people was based on religious concepts. And it never would occur to them that one day religion would be a very minor part of a small percentage of the people in the world. Never would occur to them. They could not have foreseen a future where there was no religion. Really. In their sense, you know, a God is in his heaven, uh, uh, the belief in absolute, uh, absolute uh, literal translation of, uh, of Quranic and biblical concepts. And I think it would be just as hard for us to believe in a future where no machines are around, except the most basic. Because we believe in machines, <laughs> ultimately. We really believe in them. Just the way other guys believe in religion. We suspect that black religion, it's forever, you know? Like they thought, you know, it's forever. Just wonder. And you know, today I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this, and I hear for the first time, I hear a note on the radio, uh, a news note, uh, where, where uh, in, the, in the New York hospitals they had recently been having a great wave of guys showing up with petroleum poisoning. Petroleum poisoning. Well, that's right. You never heard of it, right? Well, I'll tell you what petroleum poisoning is. Drinking gasoline. <laughs> All right, now, wait a minute. Now, don't laugh, friends. Uh, and, and where are they getting this? Well, they're getting it from, from uh, going out and siphoning gas. Now, that shows that you're... There. <laughs> well, there's also been a fantastic run on gas siphoning kits here in, in, in New York City, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, who would ever go out and buy a gas siphoning kit? And that's kind of silly. It's like going into Macy's and say, hey, listen, I... Uh, 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 going up to the information booth there in Macy and say, excuse me, where do they have burglar kits? <laughs> you go up and you buy yourself a, <laughs> a set of uh, lock-picking tools. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it never would have occurred. Uh, now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I hope the kids are in bed because you're listening to an experienced gas siphoner. And this is why tonight when we came on the air, I told you that ultimately your sins will come back to visit you. Now, I haven't talked about my career as a gas siphoner for a long time. One doesn't talk about his, his checkered past. I mean, I, 
There are things you don't talk about, Connie, I'm sure. You too, Jerry, I'm sure. And I don't go around sitting there, you know, and Sardis telling people about how great I am at siphon gas. You just don't bring these things up. But I'm going to explain to you what, what it's like. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about gas siphoning, it, when you first discover the whole principle of the siphon that knocks you out, to begin with, you, you don't think it can work. You ever siphoned anything? Okay. <laughs> well, all you need to siphon anything, you don't need a gas siphoning kit. You need about four or five feet of rubber rubber hose. That's it, friend. You don't need anything else. And anybody that tries to sell you a gas siphoning kit is pulling a flim flam of the worst order on you. I mean, all you need is about three or four feet of rubber tube or plastic tube or whatever it is. There's going to be a tube, see. And, uh... No, not too big, either. If you get too too big a tube, you've got problems. A tube of about a half-inch, wouldn't you say, would do it very nicely. Half-inch tube. Now, how do you siphon uh, if, you, if you're going to go into this art? I'm sorry that a lot of guys that are showing up at Bellevue obviously are not good at it. Because if you wind up with, uh, with petroleum poisoning, that means you have failed as a gas siphoner. You have flubbed the dub. I mean, you know, you just ain't doing it right. Now, here's the way gas siphoning works. And I will tell you about the first time that I got involved in this. Okay, you want to hear about it? Crime sneaks up on you. You do not just, uh, uh, you know, you just don't say, I think I'll be a criminal. Uh, when uh, people are asking you what you're going to do for your life work when you're a kid, you say, well, I think I'm going to be a con man. Uh, it sneaks up on you, like every great career. Very few people pick their career. The career eventually settles on them. Now, you know that when you were a kid, it would never have occurred to you, Corny, that you would be sitting here in the middle of New York City with knobs in front of you, surrounded by... <laughs> You know, union meetings, the whole bit. Never would have occurred to you, did you? No way. Well, uh, join the club. We're all in the same boat. So anyway, I did not choose a life of crime that came to me. Now, this is why I told you, you better get the kids to bed. I don't want them to hear this, because uh, uh, crime can be fun, you know. That's the worst part of it. Nobody points out that. You know, and all these criminologists are always talking that one of the basic reasons guys go into crime, other than the obvious, you know, to make a big score, uh, is that it, there's a certain curious thrill to it. Very difficult to, uh, to define. Very difficult. The illicit is always much more exciting than the illicit. Anybody who knows much about sex can tell you that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The illegal is more fun than the legal. <laughs> you barely answer. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> we will not, we will, uh, uh, all present company is exempted from anything we say. You are all innocent. You hear that, congregation? You are all innocent. We are talking about those sinners that lie beyond the walls of this church. Okay. That means you're all off the hook. You can come back and turn it up now again. And say, what's this not talking about? Well, all right. <laughs> I was roughly 14 when I got deeply involved in the crime, which became later one of my chief talents. I became famous at it. 
Because you know, I'm going to tell you this about siphoning. Some can do it, some can't. I'm serious. Some are good, some aren't. It's like playing golf. To Jack Nicholas, there's nothing to hit in the golf ball. You know? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Just hit it. Watch. Bam. 700 yards. Uh, you get the same club, you get the same ball, and you're lucky if you hit the damn thing. You know, take two years of lessons. You now got it out there 20 feet. And he doesn't have to do that. Okay, talent always comes out. And I did not realize that I had a fantastic talent until one day, Flick, this buddy of mine. Incidentally, almost everybody is drawn into crime because of the company he keeps. You, you, you've heard the expression, getting into bad company. Has it ever occurred to you that to other people, you might be bad company? <laughs> well, kind of worked out that way in my case. And, and uh, my buddy Flick, I was about 14, and Flick was older. He's about a year older than me. And uh, Flick had gotten, over the summer, he had gotten himself a car. It was an old Pontiac. And he worked on the paper route. He worked down at the down at the uh, bowling alley. He worked all these places, you know, to, to earn money to buy his car. It was about a 50-buck car. And it was a great car. It was painted green. And, uh, and you know, that, uh, that, uh, that four-door, it was a big four-door Pontiac. And, and the only thing wrong with this Pontiac was, I want to tell you, that thing guzzled gas when the key was off. You could turn the key off, park it in the garage, and you could hear it out there drinking gas. So, you know, the problem, he had the car. The problem was now how to get gas. Well, one day, Flick is up on the porch saying he's got the Pontiac back home. Pontiac, the old Pontiac, he parked in front of the house there. Flick is sitting up on the porch with me, and I'm with Bruner. And uh, Flick says, uh, boy, wouldn't it be kind of great if we could uh, take the car out this afternoon and go drive around to East Chicago and look at all them Polish chicks? See, we had a, our big hobby was driving around East Chicago, which was a town near us there. They had these fantastic Polish girls. And we would drive around and look out of the window at a car at them and holler at them, you know? You ever done that? You know, hey, baby, you know, and then drive on, you know, that kind of stuff, making obscene suggestions and so on. And that was a big sport at that point. In our town, it was called scragging. You heard the term scragging? Going out scragging? Right. So, uh, Flex says, you know, it would be great if we went out scragging tonight and uh, go over to Chicago and take a look at all them chicks, you know, out there outside of St. Ignatius. They were always coming out of St. Ignatius Church, right? <laughs> he said, uh, well, we get the car and go. And at that point, I said, well, why don't we, Flick? He says, well, I'll tell you why not. No gas. No gas. I said, yeah, you know, East Chicago's only about three miles. You can drive up there and back. He said, I don't have any gas at all. No gas. And I said, well, where can we get some? Right, let's let's uh, Let's uh, go out and get a job or do something, get some money to get some gas. I'll tell you what, let's do. Have you ever siphoned gas? I said, what, Flick? He said, have you ever siphoned gas? I said, well, what do you mean siphon? I heard the word siphon. I didn't really know what it meant. You know, I didn't know how to do it. He says, yeah, we go out, let's go out and siphon some gas when it gets dark. I said, oh, great. 
He said, well, have you got any hose or anything around the house, like a, like a piece of rubber tubing? I said, yeah, you got some down the basement. And the old man's got a whole roll of it. And he says, well, let's get some of that rubber tubing and get a gallon jug, and we'll go out siphoning gas tonight. Well, that night, it was about uh, 6, 7 o'clock, it's getting dark. Uh, we're back in the garage now, and uh, we cut three pieces of tubing, three or four feet long and rolled it up, each one of us had a gallon jug. And we went down the street carrying our gallon jug with our three feet of tubing. And Flick says, now watch, now watch how I do it. It's dark, and now it's getting dark, and here's a car parked in front of somebody's house. And it's in the shade, and it's, it's pulled over by the side there, and you can't see there's a signboard, no light is shining in the car. He says, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get caught. He says, now, here's what you do when you siphon gas. Now, watch. And he sneaks up to the back of his car, which happened to be a Buick, and he opens the little the little trap door, and he takes the gas cap off. And he says, watch. And he sticks the hose down into the gas tank, just stuffs it down in there, all the way down, see? And there's about a foot of gas, a foot of tubing sticking out now. He says, now watch what I do. This is important. Now watch this. And he sticks the tube in his mouth. And he sucks on it, just like you're sucking on a soda or a Coke or something. You go, and you hear down in the gas tank, you hear, it's making a gurgling sound. And then suddenly he moves. He takes the thing and he jerks it down, and the gas is pouring out. It's like a faucet. It's fantastic. Gas is coming right out of that hose. And he, he drops it down, and he's got this jug. He says, Quick, give me your jug, quick. He fills up one jug, and he takes another jug. Each one of us had a jug. He's quick, runner, give me your jug. It's going all over the street. For God's sake, give me it. He says, okay, let's go. And he yanks the tube out, puts the gas cap back on, and we go running down the street with three gallons of gas. And Flick says, that's all there is to it. And that began my life of crime. I went into the garage the next day. I was afraid to go out on my own, so I went in the garage. My own man's Oldsmobile. He's in the kitchen reading the sport page. I sneak into the garage. I take the gas cap off. I put the tubing down into it. Poked it all the way down. And I stuck the tube in my mouth. Now, the first thing you notice is there's a tremendous whiff. Almost like a gas comes out of the tube, you know, to tremendous, you know, the gasoline smell. It's really overpowering. This is this is when you gotta get you gotta get your your head together. You gotta be quick about it. See, so I remember what Flick had done. He sucked on it. So I go. I hear down inside that gas that gas tank. I go. The next thing I know, my mouth is full of this fantastic fluid. Boop, boop, boop. And I take the I take the tube and I hold it down and it's coming out. But I got a mouthful of gas. So I turn around and I go, 
coughing. <coughs> oh, God. But my tube was squirting gas all over the floor, all over the gallon jug. And it was my first experience at gas siphoning. And it began to get me. In fact, I got so good, I'll never forget the one night. Let me tell you some of the dangers of gas siphoning. Before we tell you those dangers, we have a little dinghy we want to lay on you. Okay. <laughs> what happened in there? Little trouble? All right, that's okay. That's what happens when you got spots about magic. Sometimes, you know, they're self-destruct. Yeah. Oh, you got it in there now? Yes, go on up. Wednesday, December 12th through Sunday, December 30th at the Felt Forum in Madison Square Garden Center. For ticket information, call 212-564-4400. Tickets also at Ticketron. We better try that again, Corny. Hold it there just a minute. Uh, tell me when you're ready. Okay. Go. No, not yet. It's resetting in there. Okay, here we go. The world's greatest magicians perform at the World Festival of Magic and the Occult. The weird show on Earth. An unforgettable experience. Bring the whole family. We hold each other's hands. The World Festival of Magic and the Occult. The weird show on Earth. Wednesday, December 12th through Sunday, December 30th at the Felt Forum in Madison Square Garden Center. For ticket information, call 212-564-4400. Tickets also at Ticketron. Well, let me say this about gas siphoning. Boy, there's some fantastic uh, dangers that, <laughs> that go along with it. I'm not advocating siphoning gas. No way. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, though, one of the uh, one of the kind of sidelights of gas siphoning. We we got really into this thing, and I'm I'm uh, I'm really kind of ashamed to admit it, but we did. We we went around and uh, we became really hip at uh, siphoning gas. And we'd go out every couple of nights, you know, and and get two or three gallons for that for that damn Pontiac. But one night, I had a, I had a terrible scene, man. One night. Uh, Flick and I and and Bruner were were creeping along the street looking for a, for a real uh, you know a real live one, and about halfway down the street was this lady, Mrs. Anderson. She had this this big Buick, another Buick, great big uh, Buick uh, Riviera or something like a big fat Buick, and we're going down the street and we see this Buick. See now, and it was I remember her house was lit up. It was supper time, and uh, you could see all the lights in there. So Flick and I sneak over. Now, you've got to stay on the side of the car that's away from the house if you're going to be really good at this thing. They have to be parked the right way to siphon. So we sneak up to the side of the car, and I, I was doing the work that night. I stick, the, I stick the hose down into the gas tank, and I take a great big suck on it, and I start to start the thing going. I just pulled up like that, and I sucked on it, and just as I am sucking on it, I'm sucking this thing up, just as I'm sucking on it, the door on the front porch slams open, and I hear this dog barking, and I hear somebody holler, Who the hell's out there? What are you doing? And just like that, it caught me right at a crucial moment. I was sucking the gas, and I swallowed about a half, guy would say roughly, a half a pint of Texaco. Oh, God. And I want to tell you, 
we ran down the street, and and uh, we just kept running. But I could feel this stuff down in my gut, and I, I went around the side of the Sherwin Williams paint sign there, and flicking. You know, we're all. Oh my God! We almost got caught. It was the closest we ever came to getting caught. When all of a sudden, up it came. I must have peed for about I'd say two or three weeks. Stuff was coming up, but I couldn't. I couldn't even remember eating. I mean, like uh, Thanksgiving dinner from four years before. Unbelievable. But then, it produces a certain amount of expertise. One thing, I got very good at the outside and I even got so good at it that I could tell the various brands. I could tell what brand of gas I decided to just out of taste. I'll have a certain, you know, like wine kind of series. A good wine kind of series can tell you what vintage, what the vineyard, what chateau the wine comes from. Well, we used to, we used to play little games like that, you know, like the gas side in the bucket. I stuck a little gas on it, I should have put down. Uh, uh 66. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, that's it, that's it. By the way, you know what my favorite uh, gas was in case you My favorite gas was Shell Regular. It's a nice after dinner, uh, nice dry taste. It's uh, not pretentious, but uh, very satisfying. So, you know, for all around drinking, I would prefer Shell. Now, it's uh, the most exotic gas that I ever had uh, a shot of, in case you're interested in, uh, in going with the exotic uh, Very, very interesting gas if uh, you'd like a little before dinner up to a heat, possibly, with union. Uh, it's a very interesting before dinner gas. Shell after dinner. But each has its own vintage and style and taste. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy heathen, friend. Keep at it. <laughs>